Grant. I'm Elena. And welcome to History Honeys. The podcast where a married couple teaches each other about cool stuff in the past. Welcome back, everybody. Hello. Sorry for that slight interruption, but I hope you enjoyed what uh, what you got to listen to in the meantime. Yeah, our supplemental. Life got busy. It was a musical extravaganza. <laughs> Isn't it usually? <laughs> More often than not. So we're back, though, to our, our regular scheduled programming. One of the most regularly scheduled things, in fact. Yeah. Because we're coming back with uh, the next iteration of one of your series. Disney! Yeah! Yeah! And in particular, what what exactly? Uh, we are, are continuing our look at Disney's live-action films. All right. We're going to be focusing on the 60s. Mm-hmm. So, Welcome to the 60s. That's not them. That's it's somebody else. It's not them. Else. It's not them. Also not in the 60s. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, we're going to we're going to look at some of the the films that were made, some of the actors that were very big then. Mm-hmm. But we're actually going to rewind just a little bit. Context, it's a killer. We're we're going to talk about something from the 50s first. <laughs> uh, and that's something I talked about a bit in other episodes, and that's the Mickey Mouse Club. I don't think I ever went into detail other than, like, it existed, and there was lots of, uh, you know, shows that would appear on it. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a distribution platform for for films and shorts and such. Yes. As well as Talent Farm, which I'm sure is what you're about to tell me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so it was an American variety show. Uh, the original run was from 1955 to 1958. It ran in syndication shortly after for a little bit. It came back for many, many years of syndication <laughs> and uh, newer versions as well. Like We're, what we know with like Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears and Ryan Gosling and all them. Yeah, and, and they relaunched it again for like, like the third or fourth time. Right now. Right now, yeah. Yeah, right now it's a, um online-only streaming thing. Mm-hmm. But yes, there is a version that exists currently the way it's basically always been even in the reboots of it was that there was a regular but changing cast of mostly teen performers or young performers Mm -hmm. um there were always like different kind of tiers of performers (laughs) too there was like the the like red team or whatever they that were like the main people that were often on it regularly, and then there was the next tier who would like fill in occasionally. And if you can sell enough mouse ears, you get to join the the platinum team. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And every uh, bit of uh, profit made by somebody under you comes to you. Uh, so the Mickey Mouse Club, as we said, it was an important uh, way for them to bring other films and stories and repeat them uh within the show in like serials Mm -hmm. um it it was also a way to to carry on the excitement of mickey mouse Mm -hmm. um before this time period uh there was actually like mickey mouse fan clubs based in theaters yeah. Yeah, like those those the, really creepy photos of all of the children in their Mickey masks. Yes. I love yes. it. Yes. Um so that was a thing for a, uh, a little while and it was run like by local theaters who like signed up to do this program. But uh towards the late 50s it was being edged out. Mhm. They were pretty much all gone by the time the show came on. 
And Mickey Mouse was a big part of it. He, they had uh, special cartoons that were made for it. They had vintage cartoons that came, you know were made much earlier. Uh, and he always appeared like introducing um, the interstitials and closing out the show and stuff. Mm-hmm. Mickey Mouse was actually uh, still voiced by Walt Disney mm-hmm. during this. He had actually stopped uh, voicing the character for theatrical things uh, after 1947. So this is in the 50s. He was still doing the voices for this, which was pretty cool. Yeah. It's not the hardest voice in the world to do. It's no Donald Duck. I'll, <laughs> I'll say that. Donald Duck is very hard. Because there's, <laughs> there's a thin line between just sounding like him and sounding like him and being understood. Yeah. No one's ever hit it for me. I have no idea what that Oh, I also know what's going on. Uh, I, I, just, also- I just know he's angry. <laughs> he's very angry. <laughs> But the show was, as you said, a a talent pool. Mm -hmm. It's a place where a lot of uh, people came in and did other things, grew on to do many things. So there were actually like two male adults that were in it as like the club leaders Mm -hmm. and like hosts. Uh, One of them was uh, Jimmy Dodd, who like emceed the show. He actually wrote like the the Mickey Mouse Club March and like (laughs) Elmer Mata that they use like for the opening and closing. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they're the same song, mostly. Well, this one's the, much slower. Yes, yes. But, like, he, he <laughs> you know, they're considered separate things. Sure, and sure. And he wrote, he wrote, though. He wrote it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also composed a lot of other songs for movies that he was in, uh, and also for the show. He had a segment that was often a positive moral message in song. Um, usually, sometimes stuff from the Bible, mm-hmm. um, that they would often nickname uh, Dodisms. Hey, kids, Dod. we had a lot of fun today. But let me tell you about drugs. They don't exist yet. It's 1954. <laughs> it's more about being kind, <laughs> listening to your, your fellow man, mm-hmm. those types of things. Uh, but he wrote pretty much all the ones he did uh, for the show. Uh, he also wrote the theme for Zorro. Oh, which is pretty cool. I like Zora. We talked about Zora last time. We used the theme for Zora yeah. last time. Um, and he also did a lot of uh, roles in westerns um, and a lot of uncredited parts in films, such as he was the taxi driver in Easter Parade. I don't remember the taxi driver in Easter Parade. Well, you should, because it was him. <laughs> <laughs> um, unfortunately, though, he 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 did die of cancer in 1964. So very shortly. Uh, after the end of the Mickey Mouse Club. He didn't have a particularly long retirement. No. One thing I'm going to say in uh, my my looking at various people who were involved in movies and stuff that we're going to talk to through the 60s, a lot of them died from cancer. Particularly mouth or throat cancer. Uh-huh. Yeah. High percentage there. This uh, episode is not sponsored by Philip Morris uh, or, or any other tobacco company. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh, the the other uh, adult that was in it was uh, Roy Williams. He was actually an artist and entertainer for uh, Walt Disney Studios uh, before doing this. And uh, he actually came on as an artist in the 1930s for Disney and worked on animation shorts. And then later spent a lot of time developing story ideas for things. Mm-hmm. Um, and not really at all like a actor. 
So it's kind of it's just very interesting that they're like, yeah, Roy, go go be in there. Good old big Roy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he also designed um, apparently a hundred insignias for the U.S. Armed Forces during World War II. <laughs> Uh, and he's credited with designing the mouse ears that were worn during the Mickey Mouse Club that are now, like, a staple of Disney Park merchandise. The the signature merchandise. Yes. He uh, apparently had the I- idea and the specific way of doing it, like, hey, well, why don't we have it look like this? Mm-hmm. And then that's where we got our mouse ears from. <laughs> it's Big Roy. Big Roy, to court. Um, now, there were a bajillion... Children that worked on this show and in the coal mine, <laughs> <laughs> shoveling into the furnace. Yes, uh, and you know many of them. Uh, some went on to continue acting. Some uh, went into other um, areas of entertainment. Like one person became a makeup artist uh, for films. Some just completely walked away. Um, I'm not going to talk about all of them because there's many, many, many of them. <laughs> uh, but uh, I do want to me- mention um, Sharon Baird. Uh, she was actually one of the came on to the show as one of the most experienced kids. Mm-hmm. Um, She'd been around the block a few times. Uh, she had a reputation. Yeah, yeah she was on many <laughs> a variety shows, uh, performing dance numbers and skits for Mm -hmm. years before she did this and let's remember she's like 12 or something (laughs) so like since she was like five um after the show she actually worked uh extensively as a live puppet Uh, um that makes me think of that really creepy fringe episode (laughs) i don't like live puppets so there were these like like kids shows that came out in the seventies where she did extensive work for them. These uh, directors that were known for doing like puppetry stuff or having like care, their characters go to like, uh, you know, a toy place or a different like world. And then like, would be like people who pretended to be puppets and came alive. Uh huh. I think kind of like stuff you'd see in babes in Toyland and that where they're supposed to be a toy. She, she invented the robot dance. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. Uh, I think the most, like, weird thing is that she also did, uh, she did rotoscoping for the late 70s version of The Lord of the Rings, and she was the live action model for Frodo, but she didn't get any credit. Huh. <laughs> Just, she, she did a lot of, like, physical things, and mm-hmm. this is interesting. So, so it's like, like she, she did the acting that was rotoscoped. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yes. They based things off of how she moved. hmm Yes. Which is a technique that, like, most uh, – quite a bit of Snow White in Snow White was an actual woman that they filmed. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, someone we're going to talk about later did the modeling for Cuella de Vil. Huh. Yeah. Um, which a lot of that was very common for, like, bringing in people to do that during this time period, especially people who already worked in other areas. They were like, yeah, come on over. Do yeah. this thing. Uh, now, the person we're gonna, like, talk about, mm-hmm. the, the Mouseketeer of Mouseketeers, <laughs> is Annette Funicello. Mm-hmm. Your, your role model, your idol. I love her. I love her so much. Um, she was definitely, like, the most popular Mouseketeer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it said that she was receiving, like, 6,000 letters a week. <laughs> um, just to her. And she's one that, like, didn't come on with, like, 
I guess as much experience as some of the other kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was born in New York, moved to California at age four, um, and like was a dancer. She took a lot of dance classes and she performed as a dancer, but for theater type performances. So she not like TV and all that, mm-hmm. like some of the other kids who were on like variety shows for years. Right. Um, she was actually discovered in 1955 by Walt Disney himself uh, when she performed as in a production of Swan Lake dance production uh, in California. She was actually the last to be brought on to the original Mickey Mouse Club cast. Mm -hmm. Uh, And one of the few that he personally selected, she was, in a lot of ways, she was not the same as other kids. In interviews (laughs) uh, later on, she would um, state that she was kind of the ethnic one. Remember Um, when Italian people weren't white? Welcome to the 50s. All the other kids are like blonde haired, Mm -hmm, light mm -hmm. brown haired, blue eyed kids. Right. That very traditional 1950s like kid next door look. I'm not just being flippant. It is a constructed identity. Yeah. And so it's quite a big thing that, you know, the the one that would be considered the ethnic child mm-hmm. is the biggest star yeah. of it. Um, and she, many people told her that she should change her name because Finicella is like too out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but Disney actually encouraged her to keep it. What he's about like Annette Franklin? <laughs> Annette Funky Fresh. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Disney was like, no, you need to keep it because you're going to be a star. And it's unlike any other name, and people will remember it because it's different. Yeah, branding. Yeah. So in addition to being on uh, the Mickey Mouse Club, she was in a lot of stuff. Um, She (laughs) starred in several different serials that were made for the Mickey Mouse Club, including one called Adventure in Dairyland, (laughs) which is so funny. It was a production connected to the American Dairy Association, and basically they went and to a farm, and learned about dairy production over eight episodes. <laughs> Why does it take eight episodes? Well, let's remember, these are serials within the Mickey Mouse Club show, so this is like Num- probably like a five-minute segment. Number one, you learn how to take care of cows. Number two, you learn how to get the milk out of the cows. Number three, you learn about pasteurization. Number four, distribution. Half the time, <laughs> I saved half your budget. I I don't know. I can't tell you for sure what happened in all eight episodes. I can just tell you that it happened. Um, she was also the star of uh, the show Annette. Um, I wonder how she got that part. That was made for her. Uh, I was. I loved Annette. I loved it so much. It is all on YouTube. And she appeared in the Spin and Mar- Spin and Marty. Uh, serials that i think we talked about a bit last time Mm -hmm. now she was like such a big star out of this that they were actually uh disney was planning to create a live action feature called rainbow road to oz um the idea was to cast multiple musketeers including annette she would uh play ozma Mm -hmm. uh and it was going to be this huge production that would be up to par with Wizard of Oz and other like big movies of the time. Yeah. Um never happened. <laughs> uh there were some preview segments that were made and aired in uh the late 50s. Um but the movie was abandoned uh probably because like 
Wizard of Oz did so well and was still actually, like, it was being shown on TV and, like, lots of stuff was happening. It was almost 20 years old, though. But it was still, like, really popular. Yeah, yeah. Um, It had only, like, recently been shown on, like, CBS at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, they also, they did, had recorded some of the songs, um, which were later released um, on, a, like, a Disneyland LP. Uh, and then there were a lot of the songs are still around that have since been recorded. By mm-hmm. other people, but it never happened. Uh, instead, um, this is how uh, Babes in Toyland came about. <laughs> uh, so Babes in Toyland was a 1961 uh, Technicolor musical. Uh, have you seen Babes in Toyland? I think I've seen, seen parts- Babes okay. in Toyland. I couldn't remember. Based on uh, Victor Herbert's 1903 operetta, Babes in Toyland. Mm-hmm. Uh, Not to be confused with Victor Hugo. Very different. Very different. <laughs> very different. Uh, there were many. There are other film versions made, but this was the first one to be done in Technicolor. Um, if you're not familiar with the story, it's like it starts off as like a stage play presented by Mother Goose about Mary Quite Contrary and Tom, um, who's the Piper's son, and they're supposed to be married, but then evil Barnaby has uh, Tom thrown into the ocean and steals his sheep, which makes Mary be like, oh no, I'm going to go poor. I have to marry Barnaby or starve. Um, Don't you hate it when that happens. Mary's also supposed to like inherit a lot of money, which she doesn't know. Barnaby knows, but uh, Tom doesn't actually get drowned. He gets sold, uh, but she thinks that he's like left her uh, and killed himself. You know, for the kids. For the kids. Uh, and so all this stuff with, like, evil Barnaby, and then eventually, like, Tom and Mary come back together. And there's also this big thing with a toy maker who has, like, a shrink ray gun that the <laughs> evil Barnaby wants to get his hands on to shrink people. Victor Herbert, you need an <laughs> editor. Can we get you an editor? There is so much stuff in this movie. Now, originally it was announced as a animated feature, but then it got changed um, and became live action with many, many uh, stars that were, as I said, in Mickey Mouse Club or other things mm-hmm. at the time. Uh, I swear everyone in it was in it, something else. <laughs> uh, one thing that's interesting, though, is it had uh, Ray Bolger, who was known for playing the Scarecrow in Wizard of Oz. Uh, he actually played Barnaby, and it was his first evil role he, he'd never been able to uh play an evil character before that mm-hmm. it also had a guy with the name of tommy sands who played tom and uh he was like a a pop idol he was a pretty famous musician at the time uh and then it had ed win uh, i love ed win yes, he's the best he played the toy maker uh i think my favorite thing is that like edwin's not his name like, his name's Isaiah Edwin Leopold, and he was like, nope, nope, Edwin. Yeah. That's my name now. <laughs> uh, if you're not familiar with him, he voiced the Mad Hatter. Also uh, did a lot of physical acting that was filmed for uh-huh. animator reference for the Mad Hatter. <laughs> he was also Uncle Albert in Mary Poppins. He was in uh, several other movies that were made during this time, like That Don Katz and A Flubber. A bunch just of stuff. A notable comedian who also yes. worked the variety show circuit. Yeah. He was Household great. name Edwin. Um, so it had uh, Henry Calvin, who was in uh, Zorro, uh, along with Gene Sheldon, who was in Zorro. <laughs> uh, 
just like everyone was in it, there's tons of people who, lots of musketeers who had like bit parts, like tiny little other, you know, nursery rhyme characters. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you've gone to um, Disney parks over the holidays, you would be familiar probably with the wooden soldiers that appear in their parades. Yeah. Um, Those, the design is actually uh, from this movie. Mm -hmm. I I would not expect it to be the same costumes. Well, no. Clearly the same design. Uh, So there's a a stop motion uh, wooden soldier segment that apparently took them like six months to film. Uh, And the same design is the the same uh, toy soldiers that appear in Mary Poppins Mm -hmm. in the nursery. And then the same style that they use for the parades at Disney, which is kind of cool. Yeah. 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 So this was was a a big film, big production. Now, after this, uh, Annette... uh, would go on to do many things. After the Mickey Mouse Club ended, she was still under contract for years. So she, other things she appeared in was Zorro, some made-for-TV movies. Um, and she went in, on to be in movies called The Shaggy Dog, Misadventures of Merlin Jones, and The Monkey's Uncles, uh, which is... We're going to talk about someone else who was in those films later. Okay. Um, is it The Monkey? No. Okay. Uh, there was... This was the time, though, in the 60s, there was a series of movies that either had to do with, like, people and animals getting into weird situations, uh-huh. inventors getting into weird situations. Oh, just the worst. Those or, inventors. like, teens having beach parties. <laughs> That's what the 60s was about in movies. And Annette Funicello had her foot in all three of those. Yes. Also, the rest of her. She she wasn't just a foot model. No, no. Uh, uh, she was also a singer and... uh had a lot of pop record hits uh, through this time, many of which were written by the Sherman Brothers, who we're going to talk about in a little bit. So many things we're going to talk about. Uh, and after Disney, yeah, her focus was becoming a teen idol in beach party movies. <laughs> My gosh, the beach party movies of the 60s were never ending. <laughs> Ever. She uh, went under a seven-year contract with American International Pictures and starred in many movies with Frankie Avalon, mm-hmm. including Beach Party, Muscle Beach Party, Bikini Beach, Pajama Party, Whoa, Beach really... Blanket Bingo, and How to Stuff a Wild Bikini. <laughs> That's my favorite episode of The Crocodile Hunter. Yeah. <laughs> How to Stuff a Wild Bikini? Yeah. Yeah. Look at this beauty. The bikinis roam in the wild beaches. <laughs> um, and then, like in like nineteen eighty seven, she actually like got reunited with a uh, Frankie Avalon for a promo- series of promotional concerts to promote the film Back to the Beach. But this time, it was about saving the whales, <laughs> making sure you cut the rings for your your pop bottles. Yes, yes. <laughs> um. During this time, though, she started uh, suffering from dizziness and balance issues. Oh. Um, in 1992, she actually had to come out that she had been diagnosed with multiple sclerosis um, because there are a lot of rumors that she was an alcoholic um, uh-huh. due to issues she was having with walking. People just thought she was drunk. <laughs> but no, that's not what was going on. Shortly after this, she uh, opened the Annette Funicello Fund for Neurological Disorders uh, with the uh, California Community Foundation. 
Uh, and she kind of disappeared for a while out of the limelight. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In uh, 2004, uh, she lost her ability to walk completely. In 2009, her ability to speak. Um, and unfortunately, she passed away in 2013 uh, after a long battle with mm-hmm. multiple sclerosis. Um that year was the year that the Disney Channel original movie Teen Beach Movie came out, and it's uh, actually dedicated to her memory. Oh, well, that's um, sweet. I might actually have to watch that then someday, maybe. <laughs> I never had a reason to before. Now you do. Just just for Annette. Uh, just to know that it, her her beach partiness lives on. Maybe I'll just watch the credits where they <laughs> where they say it. Now she was in way more movies than I said, but she was definitely like a staple mm-hmm. of this time period of not only Disney movies, but like teen and young people movies. Um, and she, she, she was also... Like, she was like the teen idol of the day. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, she's also sang a lot of songs that appeared in other movies huh. that... Like, you've probably heard her. If you're like, I have no idea who Annette Funicello is. If you've watched movies from the 60s, specifically more like comedy stuff, you've mm-hmm. probably heard at least one song she sang. <laughs> um, because she definitely lended her voice to different, especially like theme songs for movies. Because mm-hmm. that was a big thing at the time. Remember when movies were just big sitcoms? Because they yeah. all had five sequels. That's basically a whole season. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so we're going to talk about another uh, star who who got his role with the Mickey Mouse Club, or his start, and then continued on. Uh, so in 1956, Tommy Kirk got the role of Joe Hardy for the Hardy Boys Mickey Mouse Club series mm-hmm. uh, that we mentioned. Um, this started his long association with the studio, uh, doing many more Hardy Boy installments, uh, along with uh, doing a variety of travelogues for uh, serial segments on the show. And he also attended both the Republic and Democratic presidential nominating conventions in 56 mm-hmm. um, to do like newsreel segments for the show. Did he like Ike? What, I, what was his opinion on Ike? I don't think I ever like saw these newsreel parts. And that makes me very sad because I thought I've seen all the Mickey Mouse Club. And I was like, mm-hmm. did you edit these out? I want to know. <laughs> I want to see these. Um, now his biggest break came in 57 when he was in Old Yeller. Uh, he was also supposed to be in the, the Rainbow Road to Oz movie, which didn't happen. Mm-hmm. Now he was very much the traditional all American boy and is who they called up for any time they needed a all American boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, the movie, the shaggy dog that I mentioned, uh, was about a boy inventor who has an invention that turns him into a dog. <laughs> Uh, it has been remade so many in the times. Past, like, yeah, um, Tim Allen was the Shaggy Dog in the nineties. Yes, yeah, yeah. Oh boy, Tommy Kirk was the original though. <laughs> uh, now, after this film finished filming, uh, he was told by Disney that they didn't really have any work for him, um, and he was kind of in a weird like, "What do I do next?" thing. But it became such a hit. Mm-hmm. That they brought him back and was like, hey, here's a really long contract, don't leave. Let's do the Swiss Family Robinsons, okay? Turns out people love dogs. Yeah. They can't get enough. Now, he would go on it to be in the movies The Absent-Minded Professor, 
uh, Son of Flubber, Babes in Toyland, Misadventures of Merlin Jones, which was a very big surprise hit. What if the secret was the dog, though? What if they should have put the dog in all those movies instead? Maybe people thought he really could turn into a dog. Oh, and they were just waiting for it at and any like, time. But wait, why? Okay, we got to go see the next one because maybe that one he'll become the dog. Mm-hmm. The full moon comes over the Swiss Family Robinson treehouse. Everybody's waiting. Yeah, yeah. Now during uh, his time with Disney, he finally accepted the fact that uh, around the age of seventeen that he was gay, and this was, you know. Not a great time yeah. for that. Finally accepting the fact this isn't going to change. This is who I am. Mm-hmm. In the long run, this could wreck my career, mm-hmm. but must go on with my life. Um, now, while filming The Misadventures of Merlin Jones, which was around when he was 21, uh, he started seeing a 15-year-old boy. I, that's not great. That's not a no. good look. Not great. It, from, from what I could read, it does seem like it was a... a consensual relationship but, but it, can it be can, can it, it really be there's like problems there there's lots and lots and lots and lots of problems because you're 21 he's 15 the the younger kid thought it was the younger kid thought it was consensual <laughs> type thing without knowing like there's power dynamics there yes we have, that, power that's why we have issues. laws about that yes that's what <laughs> yeah. that's what i'm trying to get from. it's like the 15 year old was all about it from what i can tell but still, not okay. Not okay. So the 15-year-old's mother found out, though, and informed Disney. Mm-hmm. And Kirk was fired. Mm-hmm. Even if it was a, a much older person, where it would have been not illegal and creepy. Um, <laughs> he probably still would have been fired. Yes, because D- the Disney company was known for being, like, the most conservative mm-hmm. of uh, studios at the time. Because it was, like, a family-friendly thing that they were trying to put across. To the point where, like, Annette Funicello, when she was um, on loan out to one of the other companies, was she was still under contract with Disney and making, like, one of the first beach movies. Disney's like, hey, wear a one-piece swimsuit. Don't show your belly button. <laughs> uh, though she did show her belly button. Uh, but she wasn't fired. But it was still like a, mm, keep your wholesome image. Yeah. Because belly buttons. Oh, no! Surprisingly, because Merlin Jones was such a surprise hit, they brought him back for the sequel, The Monkey's Uncle. (laughs) Um, And the story of this was never made public at the time. Um, So he went on to work for American International Pictures uh, and became a leading man in several movies with Annette, including Pajama Party. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. which I would love to just let you know about his character in Pajama Party. Uh, tell me, tell me about the Pajama Man. So he was a teenage Martian intelligence officer named Gogo, who was sent to Earth wearing an usher's uniform to prepare the way for an invasion. Uh, and then it seems like it just becomes a full-on like beach party movie after that, <laughs> where he learns the ways of the deans. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-huh. So this was plan 10 from outer space. It's the next one. Uh-huh. uh-huh. All right, cool. I would like to imagine that people went to see Pajama Party and were like, wait, why is there an alien? What the, what the hell's happening? And this inspired Ridley Scott to redefine American cinema. 
because clearly it needed help. Now, uh, shortly after this, uh, he would get uh, arrested for possession of marijuana and, like, get taken off a lot of movies that um, he was supposed to be working on. He Mm -hmm. made a few more. Because of the success of Monkey's Uncle, like his career just kind of went back and forth. They were like, oh, you're really popular, so you can make more. Oh, but you did a thing. Oh, you're really popular. <laughs> um, in the 1970s, his he hit rock bottom with being a big drinker, drugs, taking any movie that would come his way, including non-SAG stuff that mm-hmm. that's like, if you're a SAG actor, you don't take non-SAG things. Right. And at that time, he was like, okay, I need to make... A new life for myself. And I started working as a waiter and a chauffeur and then went on to open a carpet cleaning business that was very successful for 20 years. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, he acts occasionally and is, um, makes appearances, uh, at various events and festivals, things connected to stuff he did before. Mm -hmm. Um, considering that he has one of those, like, Wonderful stories where you're like, oh, you had a really, really bad crash of terribleness, but you came out okay. <laughs> and you're doing good. Doing all right. Yeah. You can clean my carpet anytime, bud. <laughs> so uh, the next uh, actor we're going to talk about at the time mm-hmm. is another one of my favorites, mm-hmm. Haley Mills. Was she a musketeer? No. Oh, okay. She was not a musketeer. Uh, but She was destined for the big screen. Yes. Yeah. Uh, she was an English actress, which it took it took me years to find out she was English. Yeah. Yeah. It like shocked me when I was a child. I was like, "What?" <laughs> Never knew. Uh, born in 1946, um, she uh, was discovered at uh, 12 in London. People were looking for a boy to play the lead role in a movie called Tiger Bay, which uh, starred her father, Sir John Mills. Mm-hmm. He played a police superintendent investigating a murder, and she played the girl who witnessed the murder. Hooray! Uh, One of Disney's uh, producers saw the movie and suggested her for uh, Pollyanna, and this started her career in the U.S. and with uh, Disney. So, uh, Pollyanna was made in 1960. Uh, it was based on the novel of the same name from 1913. Uh, critics were like, oh man, this is gonna be terrible. <laughs> and they were right. But they actually loved it. Uh, <laughs> it unfortunately did pretty poorly at the box office, um, because only women and girls were going to see it, mm-hmm. based on how it was marketed. Uh, it actually won her an Academy Juvenile Award mm-hmm. for her performance. Around this time, she also got a BAFTA award for most promising new cover, comer, and um, Golden Globe for new star of the year. <laughs> uh, she she started with a bang. That's just the power of positivity for you. Uh, Pollyanna is definitely like one of the the like major films that's kind of attached to her name that people think about. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also starred a lot of people who were in other things, yeah, uh, like the unaired Archie pilot from 1964. <laughs> Yes, that was um, <laughs> the lady from Green Acres, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Bewitched. Yeah, she was in this. Uh, we also had uh, Rita Shaw, who would go- be Miss Brill in Mary Poppins. She also paid, like, a cook here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she'd be in several other Disney movies, including uh, Escape to Witch Mountain in the 70s. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of people who were in other stuff. 
Now, the other most, like, known movie, and probably the biggest known, is The Parent Trap. Of Haley Mills' career. Yes. Yeah. Not the new one. Not... Well, no, the one Haley Lindsay Mills Lohan, is in. The Haley Mills one, which it really <laughs> bugs me when people are like, do not know that this exists. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you just... It's when they sing Let's Get Together. Yeah. Which That's was... where that song comes from. Yeah, which was, like, a huge hit, actually. There mm-hmm. was many, like chart topping recordings of it <laughs> so just like with the Lindsay lohan version you all know uh Haley mills played both parts in the parent trap two twin sisters separated at birth that then through a remarkable coincidence find one another yes realize they're twin sisters switch p- identities switch identities to live with the other parent that they never knew yes yeah so this movie was uh nominated for two oscar Oscars and got three TV sequels. <laughs> yeah, I believe that. Yeah, I'm, yeah. This is when movies, specifically comedy movies, were just big sitcoms. They were. Most of the movies that were made in the 60s here, like so many of them are like, even if the names aren't similar, like the Parent Trap ones, you can totally tell because they all keep like a similar name. Mm-hmm. But as I said, like a bunch of those. Um, Gidget Goes Hawaiian. Oh, I love Gidget Goes Hawaiian. You've got Moondoggy and Big Kahuna. But with Disney, you have like Flubber, Son of Flubber, all mm-hmm, these like different mm-hmm. like movies that just keep going forever. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was, it did very well. Originally, uh, they were only going to use a few trick photo shots within the film, uh, mm-hmm. using mostly a body double. Uh, but Disney quickly changed his mind after seeing how, like, awesome the process shots were. And mm-hmm. he was like, we have to rework the script. More special effects. More special effects. <laughs> um, the Sherman Brothers wrote uh, the songs for it. So- something I know that's not in your outline yeah. is that uh, a lot of the, the trick shots were invented by Ub Iwerks, the designer of Mickey Mouse. <laughs> the co-designer of Mickey Mouse. Nice. <laughs> Very cool. Including something called a sodium traveling mat. Yeah. Which and uh, is that the cousin of Uncle Traveling Mat? Yeah, yeah. He's the, the science teacher from Fraggle Rock. Ah. Yes. Makes so much sense. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Now, as I said earlier that like Annette sung a lot of like theme songs to things, uh the first version of Let to Get Let's Get Together was sung by Annette. Mm-hmm. Uh she she was filming Babes in Toyland in the area and they're like, Hey, can you come over and sing the song? She's like, sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, then there was another version that Haley did for the movie, and it reached number eight on the U.S. charts, and is actually credited as Haley Mills and Haley Mills. <laughs> That's cute. Yeah. Have you seen any of the sequels? I have not oh seen any God. of the Parent Trap sequels. I've seen sequel. all of them. Okay, that makes sense. Um, so Parent Trap uh, 2 uh, came out in 1986. <laughs> they took a, while. a bit, didn't they? Yeah. It was about... They were uh, waiting for the perfect script. So, Haley Mills' two characters were uh, Sharon and Susan. So, Sharon's daughter tries to hook her mom up with her best friend's dad and uses the aunt, so Susan, to stand in mm-hmm. to help mom get this date. So then, Parent Trap 3, Susan, uh, the one that was, like, standing in for the date, uh, gets hooked up with the dad of identical triplets mm-hmm. who was actually played by identical triplets they oh, did not do special cheating. effects for that that's cheating well, they already were having to deal with like two Haley mills how are you gonna deal with like three of the same person <laughs> though i was like impressed i was like man you got like teenage grown like 
identical triplets that are still acting and stuff. This is insane. And those boys went on to become Hanson. Girls. And those girls went on to become Hanson. <laughs> They're not that identical. No. No. And then there was Parent Trap Hawaiian Honeymoon. <laughs> That one focused more, I feel like, on the teenage daughters, from what I remember. But there's definitely some, like, uh, Haley Mills switcheroos happening, all about, well, like, property disputes. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't have Haley Mills switching sisters, it's like a Jurassic Park movie without dinosaurs. Yeah. You need it. Yeah. So then she was in a, a movie called Whistle Down the Wind that was not with Disney, and it was about some kids who believed an escaped convict was Jesus. <laughs> they made a musical on this. They did. Yeah. Many, many other films. She did lots of films for Disney, including In Search of the Castaways, which we just recently saw. Yeah, that was on a recent TCM night. Yes. And during this, uh, it was a huge success, and it led to her being voted the fifth biggest star in the country for a couple years on something that people voted on. Sure, that movie's not great, though. No, but people didn't care. Okay. She she was supposed to be in a movie called I Capture the Castle, which was a book by the same person who did the 101 Dalmatians Are you original sure? story. Are you sure that's a movie and not a children's board game? They tell me it is. Because I'm already picturing the television commercial. Yeah. Well, it didn't happen. Instead, we got Summer Magic, oh. which is my other favorite one, <laughs> and got her Golden Globe nomination. Uh, it also had uh, Burl Ives, who voiced Sam the Snowman and Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, mm -hmm. and music by the Sherman Brothers, of sure. course. Came a couple more uh, Disney movies, including uh, That Darn Cat, <laughs> which story of a bank robbery robbing kidnap being story and a cat mm -hmm. a dark got cat. remade with christina ricci i think that sounds right i think so but then she started doing some some uh non-disney things including a movie called sky west and crooked which was about when a girl was eight her playmate accidentally killed himself with a shotgun and then nine years later people are like hmm i don't think he actually did it are you sure you didn't do it? Mm-hmm. Very interesting career this girl had. <laughs> After Disney, she did a lot of stuff for Universal, uh, including my favorite, The Trouble with Angels. Mm-hmm. Finally, one thing I don't think people connect to, I don't think they realize it's the same person. If you ever saw the show Good Morning, Miss Bliss, it had 13 episodes and then was canceled by the Disney Channel, and NBC bought it, and it became saved by The Bell. Haley Mills played Miss Bit Bliss. She didn't continue on when it was no. rebranded, though. Okay. But. She was in the Saved by the Bell prequel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the, and the title character, no less. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There's some information about uh, Hooray, Haley, Mills. Haley Mills. So she, she was another one, though, that, like, I feel like often gets kind of forgotten. Well, she was the fifth biggest movie star of two years running. I feel like she gets forgotten because people are like, oh, she was in these movies. And I feel like a lot of them are movies that people were, like remember fondly, but they don't realize they were actually like award-winning things. Yeah, yeah. And she gets overlooked as being like how big of a child star she was. Yeah. Like, she was huge. She was the biggest child star. And she probably had one of the um, easier transitions of doing non-Disney things because she was already doing non-Disney things before she started. Yeah. Um, so she was able to have a successful career 
doing the youth-friendly things and then doing other things about people getting shot. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Perhaps by her. Perhaps we'll by her. We'll never know. So, now one thing uh, many of these uh, films we talked about have in common is the Sherman Brothers. Yeah. They wrote, like, everything. <laughs> everything. A pair of music men. Uh, it was Robert uh, B. Sherman and Richard M. Sherman. They were not twins. <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> um, but they uh, wrote more motion picture musical song scores than any other duo mm-hmm. ever. They were born in the 1920s and started writing songs together uh, in 1951 on a challenge from their dad. What a weird dad. He was a musician. Okay. But it was just like, oh, I think you should like write a song. And they're like, okay, we will, dad. Take this. Imagine if you worked in like the Ford Dearborn plant. Like, <laughs> Son, bet you can't write a movie musical and neither can your brother. <laughs> we'll prove you wrong, dad, and make you proud. <laughs> So, they did it, and they kept writing songs, and then in 1958, they, uh, Robert founded the music publishing company Music World Corporation, and, uh, shortly after, they had their first top ten hit with the song Tall Paul. My dad loves that song. I love that song. Because his brother is named Paul, and he's seven feet. (laughs) Okay, my uncle's only (laughs) 6'9". Paul is really tall. <laughs> um, this is a song that was originally sung by Mouseketeer uh, Judy Harriet and later Annette Funicello. So, of course, that was on my Annette Funicello uh, full discography that I had mm-hmm, of CDs. Mm-hmm. Um, this song is actually what got Disney's attention, and they were hired as staff songwriters for the studio. Um, they, in 1961, wrote a song for Annette in the TV movie The Horseman. Horsemasters movie, The Horsemasters. The Horsemasters is definitely a He-Man spinoff, right? Maybe. Uh, okay. Uh, and then their first song for a Disney movie was the for the Absent-Minded Professor. Uh, also that year, uh, they wrote "It's a Small World" for the 1964 New York World's Fair. So thank those Sherman Brothers every time that song's in your head. <laughs> uh, they also wrote the music for Mary Poppins mm-hmm. and uh, got two Academy Awards for that. Uh, and they worked directly for Disney until he died in 1966. Later, moving on to other things and then doing freelance work for Disney, continuing on. Mm-hmm. Their first like big non-Disney project was uh, writing Chitty, the music for Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Uh, in 1968. Because that, that movie's production was all about, let's make Mary Poppins again. Pretty much. But for our company. Pretty much. Yeah. Uh, and that got them an Oscar nomination as well. Sure, sure. Um, they've done The Jungle Book, Aristocats, In Search of the Castaways, Summer Magic, The Sword and the Stone, Monkey's Uncle, Happiest Millionaire, uh, Parent Trap, Charlotte's Web. Like, a bajillion Winnie the Pooh movies. <laughs> um, Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Snoopy Comes Home. I didn't know about that one. They did Snoopy they, Comes Home. Oh, my goodness. Um, and the Tigger movie, actually, which was their first major motion picture with Disney in, like, 28 years. <laughs> um, they have also wrote the song One Little Spark for Journey into Imagination. Mm-hmm. So the figment ride. Uh, there's a great big beautiful tomorrow. Of course. Shining at the end of every day. Um, and the tiki, 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 tiki room. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so all those catchy songs at Disney. That... And that is not an exhaustive list of their parks work either. No, that's like, let me pick the top ones. So much stuff. Like, they never stopped. Like, this is just a snippet of what they did, not mm-hmm. all of it. They also uh, were involved in the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang stage production. Uh-huh. Um, they actually wrote six new songs for it and reworked the score. Because <laughs> what that needs is more songs. Yes. Actually, yeah. It, yeah. it needs less of everything else. I yeah. don't like the Chitty Chitty Bang Bang movie. <laughs> it's five hours for some reason. I like it. They used to always show it on Easter. <laughs> they would, yeah, would always be shown it on takes like, three days to like watch. CBS or NBC or something at, on Easter Sunday. As a kid, like I was growing up probably till I was like 14 or something. And then they just stopped. Mm-hmm. And I was very upset. I'm sorry, dear. I like it. I know you don't. I know it's a it's a weird movie. It's, there, it's weird. It has pacing issues, but I love it. Okay. Um, it's kind of a weird combination of like Mary Poppins meets Babes in Toyland. Yeah, yeah, I see that. Yeah, it's very strange. Now, Robert died in uh, 2012 from age related uh, illnesses. Richard um, is still working. Uh, apparently, yes. he worked on three songs for the new Christopher Robin movie. Um, which is sponsoring this episode, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, two of which, um, the rumor that I heard, I never found, like, confirming information was that he was actually singing them. Huh. So I don't know about that. I don't know. I don't know. That movie came out, like, Friday, so... <laughs> uh, did they perform any of their songs before, like in in their heyday? Because like they were always handing them off to they movie stars and singers, and um, but maybe I mean I could see it working with if it's some type of song that's supposed to be from the perspective of, of grown Christopher Robin, of a super elderly Christopher Robin, yeah, or something, yeah. or you know, but I don't know, I don't know. As I said, we- this was like a article from. A couple months ago, where I was talking about something he confirmed in an interview. Mm-hmm. So, but any listeners out there, if you checked out Christopher Robin over its release weekend. And you just happened to really pay attention to the music credits. Yeah. Let me know. Yeah. Uh, so, with that, I think we, we have to talk about Mary Poppins. We have to talk about the greatest live-action Disney film of all time. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The movie. So, it came out in 1964. Uh, it was directed by Robert Stevenson, who directed 19 other films for Walt Disney, um, including Johnny Tremaine, which we talked about last episode, and Zorro, and Old Yeller, and Darby O'Gill. And it just goes on! <laughs> the Sherman brothers uh, not only wrote the music, uh, they were also involved in development and are credited with changing the setting from the 1920s, like it was in the book, to the Edwardian era. Mm-hmm. It got 13 Oscar nominations and won five. Congratulations. Um, Including two for the Sherman Brothers. Yes. Uh, Now, Disney had actually spent 20 years trying to get the film rights Mm -hmm. um, from uh, Travers, who wrote the story. Um, He started to do this after his daughters, like, fell in love with the books. Mm -hmm. Um, But she was like, no, I'm not going to do it. You make cartoons and you can't make my my story as good as I did. So, no. (laughs) It's um, a very sensible position. Yes. Uh, in 1961, he, he finally got the rights 
with the uh, stipulation that she would have approval of the script. But she kind of did. But he also was like, well, I have final say on the picture, though. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of issues uh, in the creation of this movie. A lot of things she did not like, um, such as basically all the original songs she hated. Yeah. Um, Choices with Mary Poppins' character. She didn't want the animation in it. Because um, she hates penguins. It's not animation <laughs> specifically. She has a vile hatred of penguins. They're filthy beasts. Um, but, you know, most of these things made it in because Disney's like, but I have final say on the finished product. So we're going to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, now, this was Julie Andrew- Andrews' feature film debut. Yay, Julie. Uh, she was a stage actor before this um, and had actually... Uh, got this part just after Audrey Hepburn took over the part of Eliza Doolittle in the screen adaptation of My Fair Lady, which was a part that Julie Andrews had originated on stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they didn't even have Audrey Hepburn sing. <laughs> That's a whole different thing. I, I love My Fair Lady. I love Audrey Hepburn. Mm-hmm. What were they thinking? But hey, we got we got Mary Poppins out of this, so... At the time that she was cast, uh, she was pregnant, and she was like, well, I'm not really sure, you know, I can do this film while pregnant. And Disney was like, it's okay, we'll wait till after you have the kid. That's how badly we want you to play Mary Poppins. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dick Van Dyke got his part after Disney saw the Dick Van Dyke show. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had to fight to get the part of uh, Mr. Doss Sr. The bank man. He was like, I really want to play his part. Yeah. And they're like, mm. You're not old enough. And he finally convinced them to let him do a screen test mm-hmm. and uh, won them over. Well, yeah. Dick Van Dyke can win anyone over to anything. He's Dick Van Dyke. He's amazing. Now, the Sherman Brothers, as I said, wrote the songs. Um, they wrote a lot of extra ones that were not used. Uh, it said that there were about 30 songs that existed at one point um, <laughs> that were either cut or rejected. Uh, some of them do, like exist like the music exists and um Mm -hmm. people have recorded them and then some of them are just like gone forever Mm -hmm. but as i said it was considered one of like the greatest films of all time and disney's crowning achievement and i feel like they a lot of uh choices in what they made after were definitely them trying to figure out ways to like do it again like bed knobs and broomsticks yes uh a movie that's just, let's do Mary Poppins, but still in our company. <laughs> yes. Um, but, you know, even though they were trying to, like, redo this again, there were a lot of movies, though, that they just, you know, weren't trying to redo it again. <laughs> I'd like to share a few with you sure. before we go. Well, they brought Dick Van Dyke back for a movie called uh, Lieutenant Robin Crusoe, USN, mm-hmm. uh, in 1966. It's a comedy about Dick Van Dyke, who is a Navy pilot who becomes a castaway on a tropical island. When I think uh, a lonely man trying to to struggle with isolation and survival, I think a a nice broad comedy with a lot of good old slapstick and goofy faces. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Well, I guess like he originally thinks he's alone on the island, but then he's not. And then probably really racist stuff. With having some tribal people that he encounters. Yeah. And uh, he ends up getting chased off the island, though, because he refuses to marry one of the girls. Okay. Yeah. Sure. But 
Walt Disney was a part of uh, the script writing for this movie, and it's the only film he actually receives a story credit on. Oh. Um, but they did it as, like, Walt Disney spelled backwards. Yeah. Retlaw Yensid, Walter Disney spelled backwards. Yeah. <laughs> now, this one. I like this one. Oh, good. I'm, in, so, I'm so excited to like something. This movie, Follow Me, Boys. Which, how did you say you, you thought it should be said? I thought I thought it should be a fun little leprechaun saying, follow me, boys. My Me boys are running away. Follow them. Follow me, boys. No. No? No. Okay. Uh, so this was made in 1966. It's an adaptation of a 54 novel called God in My Country. Uh, and it stars a lot of people who are in a lot of other stuff, like Fred McMurray, who's in... Shaggy Dog, Absent Mind Professor, Happiest Millionaire. Uh, Vera Mills, who was in Psycho and other Disney films. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's a fun sentence structure, because it makes it sound like Psycho's a Disney film. Yeah. Uh, Charlie Ruggles, who played uh, the grandpa in The Parent Trap. Oh, good grandpa. And uh, Lillian Gish, who had started out in silent films in 1912. Mm-hmm. And they actually, like, this was one of the last things she ever made, and she was basically brought out of retirement to do yeah, it. she was, like, a big star in the 20s, right? In the 10s and 20s? Oh, man, she, like, yes. She was, like, a huge silent film, early film star. Yeah, yeah. Um, Lillian Gish was a big deal. Huge deal. Uh, of course, the title song was by the Sherman Brothers, just so you know. <laughs> um, but it is notable for being one of the few films that actually, like, features the Boy Scouts of America. Sure. Uh, it is also the first of ten movies that young Kurt Russell would appear in for Disney. Yes! I love that, like, Snake Plissken himself started as a Disney teen. Okay, so here's the story. 1920s. This dude Lem is a saxophonist in a band, and he wants to become a lawyer. And he ends up, like, settling down in this small town and just, like, becomes a shopkeeper. Uh -huh. He notices this girl, and he's like, ooh, I want to woo her. That's She's what pretty. the saxophone is generally for. Uh, and she, he notices that she like is has a list of like various various youth organizations, and she's crossed off YMCA. She's crossed off the 4-H because these are not ways to keep the boys out of the street. You mm -hmm. know what is the Boy Scouts? That's how you keep the boys out of the street. <laughs> so he volunteers a scoutmaster. Okay, time passes. He's loving his life as scoutmaster. He's forgotten about trying to be a lawyer. He's like, no, my life is about being a scoutmaster. <laughs> He's trying to win over the town bad boy, whose name is Whitey, played uh, by Kurt Russell. Uh-huh. He doesn't want to join. So he, this kid, like, shoplifts some shit, sprains his ankle, and then he gets very impressed by Lem's ability to bandage his ankle based on his Boy Scout training <laughs> uh, from the you know, the Boy Scout handbook. So he, like, he steals this handbook because he's like, whoa, this handbook's really cool. Gotta know what's going on inside of it. He ends up joining the troop. Uh, his father, like, comes to this, like, troop open house drunk, embarrasses his son, and uh, he, like, abandons the troop. Later that night, his father dies of alcohol poisoning. <laughs> so, of course, he gets adopted by Lem. <laughs> uh, more years pass. It's now 1944. <laughs> Why? Why does more years pass? <laughs> Lem accidentally gets Is this a trilogy? <laughs> Lem accidentally gets captured by the army. What, what happened to the woman? Oh, they're like they're like married. They're uh, they're married now. Yeah. Okay. 
They, like, adopted Whitey together. Okay. <laughs> okay, but it's 1944. He accidentally gets captured by the U.S. Army, who is playing war games close by. And capturing people off the street. Well, they think he's a spy because of all his scouting equipment. <laughs> Across the lake, his troop is over there camping, and they, like, raise their flag, which the military thinks, like, means, okay, let's pretend to attack them. Uh, so they attack the troop, who's camping. Mm-hmm. Then uh, the the scouts capture a tank full of fake explosive things, and then they go free Lem from the army. <laughs> but then the movie's not over yet. <laughs> Because Lem has to go back to being a lawyer to over some property disputes about, like, his campsite. And he, he like, wins the rights. Uh-huh. And then there's even more movie where they wrap up with him being in his old age and how, like, people come to say goodbye to him about how he's changed their lives for the better. I would call this a shaggy dog story, but they already have a shaggy dog. That's a different movie. Like, this movie's five movies. (laughs) I love it. That's a lot of movie. (laughs) So one of uh, our last three movies we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about The Happiest Millionaire. (laughs) The countdown begins. Uh, This was the uh, last movie that Walt Disney was personally involved in. He uh, died during its production. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a 1967 uh, musical. Uh, again, by the Sherman Brothers, Bill Thomas uh, designed... Of Wendy's fame. N- no. No? Okay. Uh, he designed 250 costumes for the principal actors alone in this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, more than 3,000 complete outfits were used in this film. <laughs> uh, at the, in the point when he d- had filmed this, he had over 200 movie credits at the time, um, and he definitely got an Oscar nomination for his work on this film. Because <laughs> it's an insane amount. Yeah. And, like, at the time, it was something like $300,000 for costuming, which, like, seems like nothing now, but, like, back then, that, mm-hmm. that's a lot of money. You, you could have bought France for yes. that. Um, Is there an Oscar for most costuming? I, I'm familiar with the one for best costuming. But most? Uh, he would have won it, I think. <laughs> now, this is another one where Disney had required the rights to the story, but they didn't have a plan to make it into a musical. It was just going to be like a regular, you know, movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but after the popularity of Mary Poppins and then movies like My Fair Lady and The Sound of Music, they made a musical. Mm-hmm. Um, and it had... Fred McMurray, who was in everything. We've already talked about him a bajillion times. And it was a movie about an Irish immigrant who becomes a butler for an eccentric Philadelphia millionaire and a whole lot of weird stuff with his family. Um, now, Walt, as I said, died during production. He um, was there for the first cut of the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then after his death, there was a big fight over um, the cuts that would happen after. Right. Um, the movie opened... When it opened was a hundred and sixty minutes, and that's then a lot. That's a lot of minutes. Yeah, and then it was shortened to a hundred and eighteen <laughs> uh, after that. Um, but when it appears on TV, it appears as the full version. Hmm. Yes. During the sixties, there was a lot of uh, movies coming out much longer than they ended up being later. Yeah. Um, usually, though, the weird thing is, is a lot of times the cuts then 
were required by movie houses. Right. Or like the to, premiere to like locations. Like I'm not gonna schedule. I'm not gonna show this unless it's shorter. Yeah. Um and quite a lot of them have come out since in the full cuts or been available in the full cuts, but there's still some films that have never been released mm-hmm. fully from what they yeah. were first shown as. Because you're never gonna fill a double feature if one of them is three hours. This is this is true. This is very true. Uh, another uh, movie that happened that created a never-ending amount of sequels. And remakes. And remakes was The Love Bug. Including with Lindsay Lohan. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Love Bug was the first of the series about a Volkswagen car that comes alive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's based on a book called Car Boy Girl. The Three Genders. <laughs> yes. Yes. Now, one thing I didn't know was apparently before filming... They hadn't actually decided on what car they were using. <laughs> so, like, they had, like, a car casting call. <laughs> and they went with the Volkswagen Bug because it's, like, the only car that crew wanted to, like, reach out and touch. <laughs> okay. All uh, right. Just a bunch of hippies on the Disney lot. Sure. Yeah. Well, as we said, like, this was the time of many things to follow. So it got four theater sequels, a five-episode TV show, a made-for-TV sequel, and then the newer... A relatively recent, in in the scope of things. Yes. It was, like, never-ending. Yeah. Never-ending. You can see the the bug, one of them. Yes. uh, At at the All-Star Movies Resort in Orlando. I think there used to be one in the Backlot Tour years ago. Yeah. As well. Yeah. But that's long gone. And the one in the resort might have been a replica they made for, like, parades, too. I forget. Uh, and the the final movie we're going to end with, with is the final movie they made in 1969 before it became the 70s. <laughs> and beyond the remit of this episode. And uh, this was The Computer Wore Tennis Shoes with an 18-year-old Kurt Russell. Yes. And a Cesar Romero. It was not 18. <laughs> one of many Cesar Romero. Just the one. Okay. Uh, Everyone's favorite Joker, Cesar Romero. So this just continued the, I guess, in- inventor scientist thing yeah. in a way. Because Kurt Russell attends college and his college can't afford a computer. So they persuade this wealthy dude to like give them a computer. And the wealthy dude's also like involved in like illegal gambling and shit. Uh-huh. Kurt Russell... Gets an electric shock from the computer and becomes a human computer mm-hmm. and then becomes a celebrity and does a lot of like TV quiz bowl stuff. And then the gangs want to kill him because <laughs> he knows stuff. I feel like this is such an interesting film because it really is like taking stuff still from the 60s that like technology invention thing messing with someone and turning them into something. But then. It definitely starts to have, like, we're dealing with computers. Yes. Which, um... I'm surprised none of these people went to space. Right. It's it's transitioning into a time period where there's more stuff focused on technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And computers and those same type of things where, like, oh, you get put in this situation or you get transformed. But now we're dealing with more futuristic things. Yeah. Um, and I think it's just such an interesting movie that that was the last movie that they made in the 60s and mm-hmm. kind of slingshots it into what they went on to make. Yeah. I mean, it was also remade, of course. Yes. 
with Kirk Cameron. From Kirk to Kirk. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, su- I'm surprised we didn't talk about uh, the absent-minded professor. It just came up in a lot of it came up a lot, a lot of people's filmographies. Absent-minded professor and uh, those movies that followed. I mean, those were ones that were literally just crazy inventions doing mm-hmm. things. This wasn't that Flubber. Yeah, yeah, those I was are the ones say, that brought us Flubber. P- perhaps the most successful of the. Uh, the the 90s and 2000s remakes yes because robin williams yeah i really hated the remake so maybe that's why i avoided talking about it even though i love robin williams i hated that flubber movie and all the hype that came from it it's either flubber or the parent trap so parent trap is one that stays with people more and if you think about movies from your childhood like i think you think of it more Flubber is one that got, though, the commercial success of, like, toys and tie-ins That's and things. That's true, yeah. Like, there was a lot of, I think, McDonald's Flubber things. Yeah, th- there was no uh, Happy Meal tie-in where you got the butler. From- I love the butler! <laughs> Maybe that's why I avoided it. Like, subconsciously, I was like, oh, I was so tired of all the Flubber stuff. <laughs> but, I mean... Like like you said at the beginning, they're they're just an order of magnitude more films produced in the sixties than were, the fifties. Yeah, um, the fifties there were eighteen live action films, and we already and the, picked and picked and chose uh-huh. in in that episode. The sixties there were fifty. Yeah, so there was definitely a lot of things they had to jump over. Um, this series was even inspired by seeing the Swiss Family Robinson on TV. Yes. And noticing, like, I know you, and I know you, Which, and I know you. That is, that is a film I didn't talk about either, but yeah, that's one where literally every Everyone. person in that was in other things. Um, the it's, mom in that was the mom in Mary Pop. No, in Summer Magic. Like, it's like everyone was in something else. Mm-hmm. Um, practically and, a repertory uh, trip. Yes. And the 60s was really just the time where, I mean, we saw it in the 50s where the same people were in stuff. But the 60s was a time where they were really banking on using actors, especially young actors, because they were so popular. Mm-hmm. And creating stuff for them to continue on with. I mean, it's it's also interesting to note that, like, looking at the list, 50 live action films, sure, only three animated films. Yeah. Yeah. So, like... The the studio was clearly making a decision. Yes, clearly drawing priorities and, in in the in this decade. And the animated films of this time were One Hundred One Dalmatians, The Sword in the Stone, and The Jungle Book. Definitely a very unique, I guess, animated movie selection for the time. Of course, also you had Mary Poppins. So like, yeah, that had partially animated, animated stuff. film. Yeah. Um, but it's such an interesting – the 60s were such an odd time, I feel like, for what they made. It was also a time where they kept making um, a lot of – I didn't really talk about them, but a lot of animal-connected movies. Mm-hmm. Like, Shaggy Dog's really the only one we talked about where there was, like, an animal in it. But this was also the time where you got – Yeah, I'm just looking at – The original Homeward Bound. Titles like That Darn Cat, The Ugly Dachshund. Mm-hmm. A, ti- uh, a tiger walks. Was that a literal tiger and a tiger walks? I believe that's actually a tiger. Okay. Uh, the... <laughs> At least the love bug, not a literal bug. Not an that actual a, bug. A car. It's a car. So they definitely knew what sold and they went with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I just I think it's uh, very interesting just to look at what what was popular when you can see what they try to like recreate. Yes. And then things where they're like, where did this come from? <laughs> Yeah. Such as, follow me, boys! You always gotta take a chance. 
That I'm, Follow Me Boy seems like a movie that Dick Van Dyke should have been in. Yes, that should have been Dick Van Dyke. It make sounds, the other guy uh, funny Robinson Crusoe. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like you didn't use him properly here. <laughs> so hopefully that was uh, interesting and educational for people. I want to Follow Me Boys remake just because I want to put in the line, so uh, what brought you to scouting? To meet chicks. <laughs> That's why I became a scoutmaster to pick up girls. To pick up girls, yeah. <laughs> I could have seen them totally remaking it in the nineties mm-hmm. with when there was that the the series of camp movies. Yes, you know, like heavyweights. Um, oh, what was that one where the kids all like create their own summer camp and lie to their parents yeah, and they get yeah. um, camp nowhere. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Christopher Lloyd, Jonathan Jackson, and Jessica Alba in her film debut. I forgot they were all. But like Heavyweights, Camp Nowhere, mm-hmm. all the movies that like take place at camp. I feel like they could have totally like taken that story and made the like army camp part of it much bigger. Yeah, yeah. It would have done amazing in 1995. <laughs> this definitely fits in the man of the house era yes. of, of family films. Yes. <laughs> or would have missed opportunity. Come on, Disney, you could have done it. <laughs> it's it's interesting to to know that like in this period these people were big and and these trends, but to actually go a bit more granular and see the trends teased out and mm-hmm. see uh the sort of house favorite collaborators go from thing to thing and, and the hand they had in shaping things. Yeah. Like, I mean, this is a whole decade of, like, the same people being involved in everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, Saving Mr. Banks didn't give uh, uh, the Sherman Brothers their credit for shaping the story. (laughs) They they just wrote the songs in that. They were, like, the only other people you saw involved in the process. Yes. But I don't think it really called them out for what they Mm -hmm. were doing. Well, with with that uh, look at a, a... possible alternate history mm-hmm. i think we'll take a quick break and be back with letters okay let's get together yeah 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 think of all that we could share let's get together every day every way and everywhere and though we haven't got a lot we could be sharing all we've got together welcome back everybody hello Thank you for joining us on this episode, but we're not done yet. Nope. We have letters to read. Letters! Mailbag! Uh, Our first letter comes in from Peter. Peter wrote us twice. Yes. But I'm going to put them together into one. Our prompt for this episode was favorite child star, and uh, and Peter chose to talk about this uh, pair of uh, child stars in a sense. The unidentified subjects of a famous photo of these two boys playing in the street uh, in Gorbals, a, a rundown area of Glasgow. Uh, it, it became this really uh, well-known image of, you know, urban life in, in a depressed time, in a depressed area, and it became uh, such a famous image that there was a sculpture made in the 2000s. Yeah. Going off prompt and into just telling a fun story that uh, an episode reminded uh, Peter of, 
uh, the the assassination or attempted assassination of Cassius Marcellus Clay, not the boxer, better known as Muhammad Ali, but the guy who was named after a Kentucky abolitionist. One day at a public debate on the topic of slavery, a man came up to Clay and shot him in the chest. Instead of just continuing on the speech or, you know, leaving to, to find a doctor, like a sensible person, he instead leapt off the speech, gouged uh, his attacker's eyes out with a bowie knife, and then threw him over an embankment. Nice. That's why you gotta free the slaves, because I don't want to get that guy angry. No, yeah. don't get that guy angry. Uh, thank you very much, Peter. Uh, Claritech sent us an email uh, and brought up that the fact that a lot of uh, child stars are only uh, remembered because they had a really time aging out of Hollywood, or they have had a successful career. Mm-hmm. It's either like the extremes, never just the right. like... There's your Joseph Gordon-Levitts, and then there's your most other child stars. Yes. So, Claritech brings up Catherine Beaumont, who voiced Disney's Alice and Wendy from Peter Pan. Mm-hmm. Uh, after voicing Wendy in 1953, uh, when she was 15, she graduated high school and began studying education. And she went on to teach elementary school for nearly 40 years before <laughs> retiring in 1997. Claritech likes to imagine that Catherine would, you know, pull out these voices while teaching. Mm-hmm. But... No matter what, uh, two years after retiring from teaching at 61, uh, she was starting to add film credits as she voiced Alice for a click-and-point adventure game. And then three years later, uh, she reprised her roles of Alice and Wendy in Kingdom Hearts. (laughs) (laughs) And many sequels, I would imagine. Yes. So, that's pretty cool. Prequels and spin-offs. Oh my goodness. Kingdom Hearts, folks. Thank you, Claritech. Thank you. Kevin writes in, uh, another first-time writer with a a long-time listening. Thank you, Kevin. And their favorite summer uh, event is the International Four Days Marches, which also has a name in Dutch that I am not going to read. (laughs) So yeah, this is a four-day event uh, where each day has different marches, different categories, you know, your your military, your non-military, your men, your women, all with different lengths. Kevin's first year participating was last year, but uh, he plans to continue. So thanks to the Dutch Red Cross for for being uh, so skilled at treating blisters. In 2006, it was the 90th uh, uh, four days marches, but it only lasted one day. The, one of the last stretches is over a, a long, narrow dike. Uh, it was a really hot day, uh, 34 degrees Celsius, uh, no shade, no place to rest. Uh, and because the dike is so long and narrow, it's, it's really hard for medical help to come to those who need it. And two people died that day. Uh, that's one third of the deaths in the entire 100 plus year history of the event. Goodness. The mayor decided that uh, under those circumstances, it would be inappropriate to allow it to continue. And that is why 2006's Four Days Marches was one day. In recent years, the, the route has been reversed. So that incredibly difficult stretch is at the beginning. You, you finish easy. That's probably better. So yeah, th- this has been going since 1909, where the first year had 306 participants. Uh, 296 of whom were military folk. 
uh, and with only being suspended during the First and Second World Wars. After the first 20 years or so being a, a Dutch exclusive, there are now people from about 70 or so countries participating in any given year. As for other prompts, Kevin's favorite musical is Sweeney Todd. Uh, favorite episode from our first year is the Iroquois Theater Fire. And we also got a picture of a doggy. Bo is a very sweet looking dog. So thank you very much, Kevin. Uh, Jasper is a first time writer, uh, but it started listening to History Honeys a few months ago. Hi, Jasper. Welcome. Uh, first off, Jasper set some cat pictures. Yay! Yay, kitties. Your cats are uh, also welcome. <laughs> uh, Jasper's been a fan of your stuff for a long time. Mm -hmm. Metal Gear Solid Five is really good, folks. We're, we're we're making some good stuff. Yeah. Uh, but started listening to our stuff after uh, Gextra Life. Uh, also listens to Sex Archie. Yay! Uh, and loves talking about it with their family and coworkers. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a good, it's a good thing to talk about with family and coworkers. You should all do that. Like Jasper. Like Jasper. Yeah. Um, but Jasper answered some of our prompts that they remembered. Uh, favorite pie is uh, buttermilk. Buttermilk pie? I don't know what buttermilk pie is. I've never heard of that. It sounds very moist. I must Google. Uh, favorite animal fact is that cat's purrs actually accelerate healing, not only of itself, but apparently others around it. Uh, favorite Girl Scout cookie is the tagalong. Favorite History Honeys episode is the Impressionalism uh, ones, because their mom is an art major, and they like talking about art history. Yeah. And favorite musical about historical events is Atomic. Um, not because it was good, because it super wasn't, but because <laughs> it tries to be both jokey and super serious about the subject at the same time and fails horribly at both. Uh, Jasper also sent a show suggestion, but we're going to keep that to ourselves. Thanks, Jasper. Uh, Rosemary writes in uh, with another show suggestion, so, so thank you to her. Yeah. Yeah. And thanks to everybody who wrote in a uh, wonderful raft of letters. And I'd like to thank everybody who, who sent well wishes and, and words of concern. Don't worry, we're all fine. We were just really busy it's is all. Busy. It's all. <laughs> we just didn't it, have time to write anything, guys. And in fact, we, we were mostly busy because of a lot of unexpected happy things. Yeah. Actually. Like lots of good things going on. Just like... <laughs> But busy you know, things, good, good things that take hours out of the day is all. Yeah, so we're fine. Our health is fine. Nothing terrible happened. But that we we do appreciate the concern yes. all the same. I am a little worried if like something ever happens, though. I feel like everyone's going to lose their mind. <laughs> we are back to our regularly scheduled programming. Mm -hmm. And with that, uh, you can get back to sending us some regularly scheduled emails. Yeah. And you can send those to historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. We love your stories. We love your questions. We even love your corrections. And also your, your regular responses to our prompts. And your concerns. And Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, darling, do you have a prompt for us? Uh, for our next episode, I would like to hear people's favorite TV channel. Ooh. Yeah. Cool. And again, those can go to historyhoneyspodcast at gmail.com. 
And while you're out there, we would love it if you uh, gave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, or, or wherever else you get in touch with us. Yeah, and you can ask, also be like Jasper and tell your friends and family and coworkers about our shows. Yeah. Word of mouth goes a long way. Be like Jasper. Be like Jasper. And have very fluffy cats. Yeah. <laughs> well, summer is most of the way through. Mm-hmm. Fall is rapidly approaching. Yes. And for our show, that means... Gextra Life is just around the corner. Yes. Uh, we are making preliminary plans. We don't have dates to set, but we are planning to do a Gextra Life 3 this year. And as soon as there is a set date and time, we will let you know. Yes. But in the meantime, start getting preliminary excited. Get some preliminary hype. <laughs> uh, and keep an eye out for when we announce... The specific date. So you can get specific hype. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, so so thanks for uh, keeping that alive. I, I appreciate we got two letters this week that mentioned Gextra Live. Yeah. Actually. yeah. Getting some, I've been getting some messages from people asking if we are doing it. The plan is yes. Yes. Just waiting on some confirmations. Mm-hmm. Of scheduling things. And I'll say that the, uh, the current theme we're building our list of games around... Real good. Oh, yeah. Real good stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I guess that's it. Yep. I'm Grant. I'm Elena. And history's better with, with your honey. honey.